this episode of AvTalk, CNBC airline reporter Leslie Josephs joins us to discuss JetBlue's surprise bid for Spirit Airlines. Plus, we pull up a beach towel and take a good long look at Condor's new livery. Hello and welcome to episode 158 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. How's it going? Hello, Jason. It's going well. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's good to hear that it's going well for you. It's the week before spring break. And so things are are wet and and blustery, but we're trending in the right direction. And I'm about to send the kids off to Camp Grammy and Grandpa for a week. So I'm I'm feeling great. That's great. Good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got travel coming up at the end of the month and and I'm starting to book travel throughout uh, the the summer looking into the fall, though I I am – I don't want to say sticker shock isn't the right word because I'm not shocked by it. I still don't like it though. No, no. I I just went through the same thing where I – I had a trip to Japan booked. I booked it sometime last year and of course, you still can't travel to Japan. So, I had to do something with the the $225. Yes, it was a very, very, very unreasonably cheap fare to to Tokyo, $225. And I had to do something with that credit before it expired. And I settled on Toronto and actually had to pay an extra $65 (laughs) to go to Toronto (laughs) instead of Tokyo. I love um, it. So yeah, fares are are trending up these days. That's that's one word for it. But it's good to be getting back on the road. We start the show with an update on the investigation into the crash of China Eastern five seven three five. Some major updates, really. Last week we discussed the NTSB's participation in the investigation and. Our conversation seven days ago was really limited to they were waiting for their visas to to process and to get on a plane and go. As it turns out, the CVR, as we as we mentioned previously, we believe it's been damaged, and so the Chinese investigators sent the cockpit voice recorder to the NTSB's Washington lab for either repair or reconstruction and then a download of the data. So the NTSB is not necessarily taking the lead on the CVR, but but taking the lead on making sure that the data comes off the actual memory. Yeah. So we had mentioned that the Chinese authorities had dispatched an Air China A330 to Dulles. We had suspected that was to bring NTSB investigators back to China. But it turns out that aircraft was almost certainly bringing the uh, two recorders over to Washington to be analyzed. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they proceed and progress with recovering that data. When the new, I think uh, Reuters was the first to report the news, and, and I mentioned at the time on Twitter that the NTSB lab has been kind of at the forefront of, of recorder specialties. There's there's a few labs around the world. There's the NTSB lab there in Washington, D.C. There's the UK's AIB lab, and then there's the French BEA, the, kind of the, the three that, that you think of when you think of being able to process these, especially if they've been damaged. And so, they're getting to work or are already at work and for I guess the third episode in a row, we'll refer to back to our, our conversation with with Champagne, which I guess becomes even more relevant because he explained how the NTSB processes recorders, especially if they've been damaged. So if you haven't listened to that, shameless plug for that particular episode. And again, we'll put a link in the show notes um, 
because I, I keep going back to refer to it so that I can kind of stay abreast of what they're doing. On the, the flip side of things, the NTSB team did depart the US and arrived in China. As is pretty much customary, that's all the NTSB has said. We don't know what the investigators are doing. We don't know where they are. Uh, we don't know what they found, if anything. All of that communication will come from the Chinese investigators. And as we mentioned last time, we expect that they'll issue a preliminary report on or about the 21st of April. So we'll, we'll pretty much have to wait until then to find out any more information about the crash. Yeah. Thankfully, the NTSB investigators were able to get the visa issues sorted out and arrive there in China. Um, they said, interestingly, they're going to use protocols very similar to the Beijing Olympics last year in that they basically will have very limited to no interaction with anyone outside of the investigation. So they'll be in their investigatory bubble, I guess you could call it. And it's, it's just a very strange time because right now, Shanghai is in complete lockdown, uh, like nothing we've seen here in the US. If, if anyone's complained about lockdowns before, this is an actual lockdown, like you can't even go outside. So it's very interesting time to have to have an outside investigation team come into China. And hopefully they're able to perform all their duties that they need to do without hesitation or issue. And it seems like that's exactly what is happening. Yeah. So the investigation is definitely proceeding. What I haven't heard beyond some comments last week that they were also sorting out visa issues and, and things of that nature are the Boeing and CFM representatives representing the aircraft manufacturer and the engine manufacturer respectively. So hopefully that's all been sorted out and, and they've been able to, to make it to to China to, to support the investigation any way they can. That's pretty much all we have at, at the moment, really. Not much beyond that, as is customary, not much comes out in that period after the initial flurry of information and between the preliminary report. So this is the generally the period where, where things go quiet and we wait. And, and so we shall. We shall fill that time, Jason, with a spirited discussion I think that has taken the aviation world by storm. Of course, I refer to, I don't even know what to call it, but Condor's bold new livery. This was the first piece of news this week that I had to refer back to the calendar on to make sure it was not still April 1st. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the second one in a little bit, but yeah, Condor coming out bold with a new livery. Not an airline I thought needed a new livery once again, but I know this is a podcast and you can't see what I'm looking at. But if you have not already seen it, do yourself a favor and, and go look up Condor's new We'll We'll put a, a link in the show notes just in case you haven't seen it already. We've got a link in the show notes. And, and if you go to the, the Flight Radar 24 blog, there is a post that includes both of the aircraft that have been painted in the full livery so far. There is an A320 or yeah, A321 that has been painted and Condor's first A330 Neo, which has been painted. So the, I guess, best description is striped. Yes. Condor describes it as uh, taking inspiration from holidays and that holidays are striped. We are inspired by ice cream parlors, umbrellas, and beach towels together with the light sea breeze in our hair. 
that's a direct quote from a tweet from the airline. And they go on to say, and that's why our planes will be flying in the summer outfit in the future. So, uh, yeah, they're striped. A, a white base of paint with different colored stripes. There's red and there's green and there's yellow and there's bronze and there's no, blue. No, or, no, no, it's not bronze. No, what is it? What is no. it? They have special colored names. Good sir. There is Condor Island, Condor Sunshine, Condor Sea, Condor Passion, and Condor Beach. Interesting. So I look green, at it, just yellow, blue. blue, red, and beige. Mm. No, you should be seeing Condor Sea, not just blue. God, they took a hint um, from so, Apple. It's not just gray; it's space gray. Exactly. So, so the A three twenty one is in Condor Sunshine, and that's the yellow. Condor. Yeah, that's yellow. It, it, to me, it looks more orange, but maybe that's you know just just me looking at it and yeah, kind of the, the darker color. The darker. Well, I think it was, it was also pouring rain in Maastricht when it left. But then there's there's Condor Island, which is the A three thirty Neo that has been painted. So I, I guess it really comes down to whether or not you like it. And I, Jason, am going to come down firmly on the side of I like it. Okay. Okay. I um, like it. I mean, I'm happy to see an aircraft that, that that isn't just white with like a little widget on the tail. I'm happy to see there there is some yellow or, or I'm sorry, it's not yellow. It's uh, sunshine. 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 Keep as, up. as we noticed, yellow <laughs> is going away. Uh, Condor says, no, yep. we're keeping the no. yellow. But the engines are not yellow like they are today, which is disappointing. That's another trend of getting rid of yellow on airplanes. But I I don't love it. I don't hate it. I would like to see one of these aircraft in, in person. But it seems like the existing fleet of 767s, which I would be able to see here out in New York, will not be getting the new livery because they're, they're not long for the Condor fleet. And the current A330-200s that I think they have on short-term lease will only get a modified version with the stripes on the tail, but not the actual fuselage. But right, right. I, and I don't know. It's different. Different is certainly one way to describe it. I like it, and and you touched upon one of the reasons I like it. it it's not just more of the same. It's not Euro white with a a line in line with the vertical tail fin, where it comes down underneath the fuse of the the embonage, and and there's a splash of color there, and that's it. And there's some titles on the on the. Thing. The Condor says that they take inspiration from the the beach towels and and vacation and things like that and and they're a vacation airline and the whole idea is that they're reminding you that you're on vacation the moment you step on board the aircraft and people that are flying condor or f are flying condor to go on vacation you don't really fly condor for any other reason yeah that's probably true this isn't like i'm booking a business trip and i'm going to fly condor that's Maybe. I looked into it in the past. I would like to do that, but I haven't. Again, you do not represent <laughs> a, a significant market segment, which is crazy person who wants to try every plane that exists. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, there, there's. I mean, people listening to this podcast, perhaps. Yes. I mean, there are many who are probably listening to the podcast, but the, the people that are flying Condor, they they're they're in it for. I'm taking this plane because I have X weeks of vacation and I'm going to spend Y weeks of vacation sitting on a beach somewhere. Or I'm going to fly a Condor aircraft to where I get on board my my cruise ship or, or, or whatever. I think this is 
it stands out, it reinforces the brand image. And everyone who who hates it, I don't think I've seen very many people argue that it's it's hurtful to their brand. I've seen a lot of people say they don't like it. And that I, I perfectly understand. I, I can see not liking this. I can see not liking the design. I can see not liking the colors. I get that. Lots of comparison to a, a variety of candy that I didn't have any uh, awareness of. Lots of old British gum manufacturers apparently. So that's been interesting. The most interesting objection I saw was uh, someone who who said, this is not the livery of an airline of someone who flies to New York. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I, we probably won't turn <laughs> it away on, on final <laughs> approach. Like, well, we'll probably still take it. But uh, the good news is that they, the aircraft are only half painted in these colors. The other half is white. So if, if it really does become revolting, people won't book Condor. They'll book any other airline. They could just continue painting it blue or go the other way and continue painting the whole thing white. Problem solved. <laughs> only requires half the paint. Yeah. The only kind of gripe that I have with it is I would have liked to see – like to have seen the logo, the Condor logo itself a on bit the bigger, tail. Right? A lot bigger on the tail. And then the title's bigger as well. I, I think they could have done with, with making the, the title. I mean, not that anyone's going to look at this plane and go, I wonder what that one is now. I think that'll be pretty apparent. It's another uh, another airline that managed to get a complete rebranding with aircraft painted and ready to go without it leaking. And for that, I, I think that's pretty great. I, I also think that's pretty great. One thing I, I would like to point out is that Condor has two retro jet liveries that do not that they've done touch them. <laughs> A really nice job with, and I really hope they they don't touch those. They have one seven six seven that's painted in the livery that the airline had in the early nineteen sixties through nineteen seventies, which has kind of a, a silver silver bottom, silver engines, uh, blue cheat line, and yellow tail and winglets, which I think looks very sharp. And then they go back to the the original livery on an A three twenty, where they have when they. They founded the airline in the mid-1950s. So, two really great retro liveries that I hope don't go away anytime soon. Yesterday, the 5th of April, we're recording on Wednesday the, the 6th, yesterday the 5th of April, and Air France 777 experienced a variety of issues on final approach to Paris Charles de Gaulle. And there are a few edited versions of the air traffic control communications available. Uh, if you want to listen to those, do so with a grain of salt. There are some, not translation issues, but comprehension issues with some of those translations that, that are out there. It, it seems that whoever translated them did a, a good job of they Google translated, Tra literally. Yeah, they they did a, a good job of translating the words, but did not translate what the words actually mean, and and so you end up with uh, less understanding than you would have with without that. So be cautious when when you listen to those. Uh, we're not going to link to any of those because uh, I, I don't want to to feed into that. But what happened, looking at the data and looking at what the French BEA reported in their issuance of a notification that they are investigating this incident, the aircraft was on final approach to the, the southernmost runway at CDG and began drifting left and the autopilot was not responding. And 
as the aircraft continued to drift left and drift left, the pilots were working on getting the aircraft to to correct course and could not. They disengaged the autopilot, performed a go-around, and were able to safely land the aircraft about 25 minutes later. Yeah. So the audio recording is beside the trend, the mistranslations. What's interesting is that for well, for one thing, they accidentally keyed the chat, not the chat button, but the the transmit button on their headsets, and a lot of behind the scenes noises and alarms were were sent over the uh, the ATC radio, and there was a lot of things going on. They were, they seemed to be physically fighting with the aircraft. You at some point, I believe, you could hear the master warning of the aircraft go off. Um, the autopilot disconnect alarm went off. So there was a lot going on in a very short period of time. And we'll just have to wait for the uh, the BEA to do their investigation. They tweeted this morning, a serious incident to the Air France 777, registered FGSQJ, noted instability of flight controls on final go-around hard controls, flight path oscillations, and they have opened a safety investigation. Also noting that the CVR and FTR data had already been retrieved and is being currently analyzed. So they are taking this very seriously already. Yeah, I mean, it, thankfully the the incident was didn't result in in any uh, damage to to the aircraft or, or injuries to anyone on board, and the the BEA will will get on this, and, and their investigations are always extremely thorough. So it'll be very interesting to see what happened here and and why it happened. And I'm sure we'll hear from the BEA in a few months' time when yep, they've completed even, their investigation. Even with all that, the the struggle to land and the go around, according to the data, they landed five minutes early. <laughs> well, all right then. Got to take a win when you can get it. There you go. Hey, speaking of wins, congratulations to the first helicopter on Mars for its win of the Collier Trophy this year. That's pretty great. It's, I mean, the helicopter is pretty great. Yeah, I, I sometimes forget that there is a helicopter making regular unscheduled flights on another planet. Still, Operated still. by NASA. And every now and then they tweet out like, hey, we just conducted our 17th flight and it lasted three minutes. And we went to check out this cool looking Martian rock over there. And again, it's just another case of NASA saying we're going to do this proof of concept. Here's how long we think it'll work for. And the damn thing just keeps going. <laughs> I know. The, the, originally, there were going to be a few flights and now- I think it was three. I think they had planned to do like three small proof of concept flights and it, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. So what, the, the flight the, number are they up to now? I don't even know what it's up to, right? I, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot higher than we expected it to ever be. The Collier Trophy- for those that don't know, is awarded annually for the greatest achievement in aeronautics or astronautics in America with respect to improving the performance, efficiency, and safety of air or space vehicles, the value of which has been thoroughly demonstrated by actual use during the preceding year. Um, the winners of the the Collier, and this goes back uh, to 1911. Let's see, who is the, the first Collier Trophy? That went to 
Well, to fill in the time when you're looking that up, uh, the Mars helicopter had just completed its 24th flight on April 3rd, and it is now gearing up for its 25th flight, which includes traveling 704 meters northwest, about 80 meters longer than its previous record-beating flight, uh, flight number nine, way back when. This thing just keeps going. I don't know when they will stop. I guess at some point the battery will stop recharging or one of the landing legs will snap off or something or they'll just say, okay, we're done, but it just keeps going. I love it. So the the first Collier Trophy was 1911 for the development of the hydro aeroplane to Glenn Curtis. Oh. Curtis also won the 1912 Collier Trophy for the flying boat. And then in 1913, who won the Collier Trophy? Mm, I think I might have an idea, but tell me. Orville Wright. I thought so. For the development of the automatic stabilizer. So, I mean, a long history of of everything from the beginnings of aviation uh, and the development of the airplane all the way through the development of a helicopter currently operating on Mars. So, lots of things It's going to be a hard one to beat for a while, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty stunning achievement if, uh, if I do say so myself. Setting the bar high. So very, very cool. So congratulations to the team that has worked on uh, Ingenuity and and everyone over at NASA. Really, really cool stuff and, and really well done. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with Leslie, Leslie Josephs of CNBC. She is joining us to discuss JetBlue's surprise bid for Spirit Airlines. Spirit had been in a frontier, had wanted to to take over Spirit. And JetBlue says, well, hold on just a moment. So we're going to talk with her about that in just a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are now joined by Leslie Josephs, who is an airline reporter at CNBC, so that we can figure out what in the world JetBlue is thinking with their acquisition bid for Spirit Airlines. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Leslie. So this seemingly came out of absolutely nowhere earlier this week. It was JetBlue had actually just had an event in Boston reannouncing its service from Logan out to Heathrow and Gatwick. And just a few hours later, New York Times had a report citing some sources that JetBlue was going to place an astronomical bid for Spirit, besting Frontier. It was so unexpected that David Shepardson of Reuters said that JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes was actually coming back from Boston and was on an Amtrak train and couldn't really have a phone conversation because phone service on that route is notoriously bad. So it it didn't seem like it was ready to be announced, but did it take everyone by surprise? It certainly took me by surprise. It definitely took me by surprise. Uh, The timing of it seemed to take Robin Hayes by surprise. Like you said, they were just hours after announcing, or like you said, re-announcing service from Boston to London. And what do you think of with service from Boston to London is Spirit Airlines is going to probably be in the news today. So uh, yeah, it, it pretty much shocked everyone. And what happened, JetBlue is offering $3.6 billion in all cash offer to buy Spirit, sweeter than the $2.9 billion cash in stock 
that Frontier Airlines had offered and uh, Spirit said they came to an agreement. This was back in February. And here we are dealing with the aftermath. The initial offer from Frontier to to buy Spirit, that was, while it was technically Frontier buying Spirit, it was going to be more of a, a merger in, in that both airlines wanted this to happen and, and they both presented the, the acquisition as something that was going to be good for everybody. It was going to be in everyone's best interest, consumer's best interest, airline's best interest, all of these things. This is a, a much different scenario, isn't it? This is a much different scenario. When Spirit and Frontier announced, even for years before, it was not an if, it was a when. They're this, they are the same in many ways. You know, ultra low cost airlines, low fare, you pay for everything else. And they have such a similar model, uh, but they don't overlap a ton in a lot of geographies. Uh, Spirit, obviously, much more, uh, much stronger in Florida. And it made sense. Everyone said, oh, okay. And this could even pass muster with this Biden DOJ. So there was a lot less head scratching that was uh, going on than after JetBlue announced. And actually head scratching is a head scratcher. That's how UBS described the JetBlue bid for Spirit. So it is- That's pretty incredible. So even the financial firms are are thinking, "What, what are they doing? Yeah, Raymond James called it an indecent proposal in their notes. (laughs) One partner's title, I think, was just, wait, what? Literally that. So people are confused, and the the stock price is, um, you know, Jeff Blue's down 8% today after this was announced. So it wasn't received very well. Spirit, on the other hand, when the news broke, rose 22% was eventually halted. So they had to disclose. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good for them. But it is very confusing. And JetBlue obviously has a very different product than what Spirit has. I mean, JetBlue is in some different markets, but also the onboard product. I mean, JetBlue, even when they started, everyone else had to follow with their IFE seatback screens and things like that, higher touch service. JetBlue, of course, has Mint, their business class, and they're expanding, like they announced hours before the merger, uh, to Europe. And they want to expand even deeper into Europe in the coming years. So it doesn't totally make sense with what Spirit's business model is. Yeah. When Frontier and Spirit announced that merger, it just seemed like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Both these airlines are pretty much the same except for the branding. But JetBlue and Spirit could not be any more different branding-wise, experience-wise, target customer-wise, probably. It just seems so – I'm still confused by it. What is JetBlue's argument for proposing this? Why do they think this is a good idea? (laughs) Well – JetBlue thinks that it's going to help them grow. And I think they used the word turbocharge, uh, cringe, when they announced it and investors in the media. So one thing that they both have in common is Airbus 320 family, which is hard to come by for the next decade, let's say. So that will help them if it is approved, if it is, uh, if, if Spirit okays the offer and ends up going with JetBlue, those planes, you know, we're talking hundreds of planes that they already have, and then the ones that they have on order over 100 will go to JetBlue. And CEO of JetBlue, Robin Hayes, had said, you know, we know that the, the market for planes is tight, especially for narrow bodies, especially for the A320 family uh, in the coming years, and this will allow us to grow as much as we want. 
in a way that's much faster than than growing organically. But JetBlue is also saying that the people that they want to compete against, the airlines that they want to compete against are the big four, Delta, United, and Southwest, and American Airlines. Curious thing about that, the big bad four, is that JetBlue has a partnership with one of the big four, and that's American Airlines and that Northeast Alliance. So it's a really big question about how the DOJ receives this. Last year, they sued to block that partnership that allows uh, American and JetBlue to uh, coordinate routes on the Northeast, Boston, New York, which they argued together that that would allow them to compete better against United and Delta in the region. And I think JetBlue, in its press release that it eventually put out, stated that they think that both the Northeast Alliance and the, the Spirit merger will go through without really any major hurdle. And I just can't see that happening. And we try to press them on that and say, like, what if you could only have one? You pick one. And it's not totally clear because the trial hasn't happened yet. The DOJ suit against the NEA, how that pans out. But... I don't know. I mean, it's a really tall order, especially for this administration. I understand it would take a really long time. Uh, the order, the uh, offer isn't even accepted by Spirit at this point. But but getting it through regulators is is a tough one. And then you have a whole other risk of executing the thing. I mean, have you been on a, a Spirit plane? I mean, you have to. They're going to have to rip out seats, retrofit you know dozens of aircraft uh, to fit the IFE. You know, I think it's like 10% of seats that they have to take out and make them jet blue planes and, you know, get rid of spirit and all of that yellow paint. Yeah, I, I found that interesting that JetBlue right in the press release said our intention is to absorb spirit in their operation and their aircraft and bring them up to JetBlue standards. And that's going to take a long time. Spirit does not have a small fleet compared to JetBlue's fleet. And they had just completed their own fleet refurbishment program of, of their older A320s. That took almost 10 years to do to their own fleet when they planned it out long in advance. So there's going to be a period where you're going to see uh, Spirit aircraft, I guess, in JetBlue branding operating with the JetBlue interior. And that's going to be, a, uh, or with a Spirit interior. And that's going to be a real delicate balance to make sure that Someone doesn't book JetBlue thinking they're going to get the JetBlue experience and somehow end up in row 55 of a Spirit A321. That's, that's going to be brutal. Well, look how complicated it is with the NEA and the American JetBlue tie-up and, and even like booking your seats. We're just talking about technology online, like booking your seats. You, you think you're on American, but you're actually on JetBlue Metal. Like They're still rolling out some reciprocal benefits for frequent flyers and, and things like that. And, and that's not a merger. The thing that gets me about the kind of putting the, the spirit fleet into jet blueifying the spirit fleet, that's 176 aircraft at the moment. And spirit has a bunch of aircraft on order. So as they continue to take new aircraft, they're going to continue to take new aircraft in their configuration, which is much more dense than, than jet blue and without any of the frills. So then Seth Miller on uh, on Paxx.arrow had an interesting breakdown where he talked about you know the the A321 on on Spirit flies with 228 seats between and between 174 and 182 on the A321s 200 on the A321 on JetBlue 150 to 162 on the A320 for JetBlue I mean removing all those seats there's two things one physically removing that many seats from the aircraft and then installing that changes one aspect of it. And then there's the fact that removing all those seats increases your costs. 
and sends you up from you know the spirit passengers to think. So the argument of why this doesn't quite make sense, it's one of the, like doing a list of pros and cons. I feel like the cons, or at least as far as the flying public are concerned, the cons weigh up pretty fast. They do. And it's something that Spirit's board is going to have to evaluate. Is it Sure, it's more money. They have a fiduciary duty. You know, They have to think about their shareholders. But what does it mean? What are the added costs down the line? So it, it's very complicated. It would be very complicated for JetBlue to organize this execution at a time when they're trying to fix their operation. Their on-time numbers last year are not good. There are some arguments that JetBlue has made or made on their call. This could possibly help customers when things go wrong, like they did recently uh, with bad weather in Florida and hundreds of flights were canceled. And a combined airline will give you more options to rebook. Um, we'll see how that works this summer, just in general. But I, I don't know. I think it's extremely, this is probably one of the most difficult mergers I've seen. I mean, look how difficult Virgin America and Alaska was and, and how um, customers were pretty tied to the product. I don't know if they have like the warm and fuzzies for 28-inch legroom and spirits, you know, interiors uh, than if it were going the other way around and JetBlue was turning into spirit in some way. But it, that's a challenge for them. It, branding is, is very different and there's going to be a lot of costs with that. It's not going to, that's not something that goes smoothly in the best of times. For me, it's it's almost like the opposite. You know, if I'm a spirit passenger, if I'm somebody who looks at flying and goes, "Well, I can get from from Chicago to Fort Lauderdale for eighteen dollars round trip, and if I want to check a bag, that's another you know what fifty bucks. So that's not bad at all. Versus now I have to pay one hundred and twenty dollars or something like that because I'm on I'm on a JetBlue plane, and you won't even have the big front seat option anymore. Yeah. Exactly. That seems to me, as far as the branding goes, kind of the you're worried, I guess, rightfully so, about JetBlue becoming more like Spirit. But if I'm a Spirit customer, I'm worried about Spirit not being there at all. I think it's a different clientele. It's different. Maybe they don't overlap on that front. Sure, like price is always the most important thing. But you know, business travelers do fly JetBlue. I don't get the sense that they're on Spirit. Although the, the CEO of JetBlue begs to differ. And that's, I think, what I'm saying is like people that that fly spirit fly spirit because it is spirit, and they might not necessarily fly at all if spirit isn't there. Right, which is essentially if this all falls through for Frontier, good for Frontier because then they're the big standout in the ULCC space, and then you know Spirit and JetBlue just kind of duke it out in like the hangars, like getting all the seats out for the next I don't know how many years, six, five, who knows. Um, if it even happens. So it, it's extremely complex it, or, you know, it'll run like a subfleet for a little while. Yeah. And meanwhile, JetBlue's never actually integrated another airline. JetBlue made that offer famously for Virgin America years ago that ended up just doing nothing but dramatically increasing the cost for Alaska to purchase Virgin America. But this will also be the first time this airline actually does it. I'm, I'm sure there is management that's had experience elsewhere, but JetBlue itself, correct me if I'm wrong, has never purchased another airline. So this would be a first for them. Yeah. And there's a labor question to it too, because uh, the flight attendants at both Spirit and Frontier, both uh, AFA and both pilots are, are ALPA. There's different representation for flight attendants between JetBlue and Spirit. That's going to be a whole issue. One thing JetBlue says is in their favor is like this will help them increase their pilot base 
their combined employees are going to go up to 32,000. I think uh, Spirit has around 10,000. So at a time of a pilot shortage, it's something that they're thinking about. By the time this closes, maybe it eases a little bit in the US, but it's it's hard to tell. If anything, it seems like this, even if the DOJ says, okay, fine, it seems like it's going to take a long time for them to say, okay, fine. So this seems an interesting way to to grow your pilot base, sure, but it's no it's no quick fix, and certainly it's it's a much quicker way to get a hundred almost two hundred aircraft versus buying them, you know, as they come off the line at Airbus, but also not not as fast. So I guess that seems less convincing in all of this to me than. JetBlue wants it to be, if that makes sense. Have they acknowledged that even if this goes through, which it doesn't seem all that assured, it will still take a long time. Yeah. And even by that time, the the pipeline of aircraft could could loosen up. I mean, who knows? We've had so many curveballs in the last year, whether it's fuel or <laughs> war, or every time I think I'm going to take a weekend off, it, like something happens. So, and for any aviation reporter, so there's always something that could throw things off again. But Robin Hayes is talking two, three years down the line. The narrow body market is still pretty tight. This will help us out. But it, it's not just that they're going to walk out of the store with spirit. Like the, the costs are huge. Their costs been gotten criticized by analysts before over cost. And I don't see how this necessarily helped them in that regard, if they're going to be distracted. But by the time this finishes up, I mean, who knows, we could have another presidential administration. It's going to take a very long time for this to get through. And in the meantime, airlines, all of them are dealing with this huge rebound in demand, immediate problems like fuel, like a labor shortage, you know, other issues like that, that are kind of putting a, a cap on growth when everyone wants to travel. So they have to deal with their costs, you know, in the here and now. So um, I'm not sure. Frontier, I, I see how that one makes sense. Uh, this one is a little bit more uh, confusing and, and definitely complicated. Well, I am excited to see and wait and watch the drama and the messiness <laughs> and the disaster of this potential merger as it unfolds over, like you said, years to come. Uh, this is going to be a mess and I'm excited to see it happen. Jason's a, a glutton. Is it punishment or, or maybe just an eye for drama? I'm, we'll, a, we'll I'm just a little bitter. I like flying spirit because I know what I'm getting into and I know to book the big front seat and I'm still just disappointed that's going to go away. You know what you're getting into with JetBlue. Do you feel like you have a uniform experience versus spirit? Uh, completely honestly, I, I won't book JetBlue these days because I don't trust their operation to actually get me to where I need to go. So come away with that, however you, you want to think of it. But yeah, these days I'd rather book Spirit than JetBlue. It, it's, it's weird, but I'd very much like to try their service to London. They always I, came, I, Spirit was the joke of every late night comedian and just kind of synonymous in our popular culture is just having terrible service, but they've, they have made strides. They have. They, they've turned it around operationally. You know, they still have the occasional meltdown, but who doesn't these days? Every airline. I was going to say at this point, every I mean, airline has an occasional meltdown. It's just JetBlue yeah, has no a lot problem, more of right. them. And when they have a meltdown, it, it sticks around for a while. But again, like before we started recording, Leslie, you mentioned uh, the color yellow. And I'm just, again, I'm disappointed to see the yellowest of the yellow airlines disappear. Yeah. <laughs> they do oh. 
I think we'll leave it at the paint. Leslie Josephs, airline reporter for CNBC. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on to talk about what in the world JetBlue is thinking. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks. Welcome back. We now turn to the part of the program where there's an update on billions of dollars at stake and nobody has any idea what's happening. I, of course, refer to Airbus and Qatar's ongoing dispute. The latest is Airbus has canceled a third A350 that was scheduled to go to Qatar. Hmm, Not great. Not great. I mean, that's what, 50 A321neos and three A350s? I mean, pretty soon we're talking about real money here, Jason. Yeah, like a whole fleet worth of airplanes. <laughs> that's a whole airline right there. Yeah. That's two th- airlines. Th- there's really no end to this insight. We, I, I don't think we have much insight into what's going on in the court proceedings. I think that's happening in the UK for some reason. I have not heard anything about that recently, but this we're, we're clearly not any closer to a resolution to this than uh, than we were the last time we talked. But I- interestingly, Eddie had finally put its A350s into service uh, last week, I think, and they were asked about this issue. And then they basically said, uh, it's not a problem for us, at least not yet. Yeah, but we, we haven't really been flying the airplanes. Yeah, they've but- kind of been parked for two or three years, so no big deal. But it, it's very much one of those things. If it's a problem that affects the airline, it affects them. And if it doesn't, it's not even really a thought apparently right now. Uh, so it's still just impacting Qatar at the moment. or I mean, there is this issue on other aircraft, but nothing's grounded. But that is yet another Airbus order canceled for Qatar. Yeah. One of the the interesting things that I'm thinking about is Hainan said that they're looking to sell a couple A350s and lease out a couple others. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Qatar's interested in those. I mean, maybe. They seem to want to be able to take aircraft from anyone they can just to ramp up capacity, even put the A380 back in service. But Heinen has been well known to lease out their aircraft to pretty much anyone that needs it. They're all over the world. There are probably more Heinen aircraft operating for other airlines than there are for Heinen right now. That's, uh, that's predating a COVID. COVID is obviously an issue in that region, capacity-wise. But I think this issue long predates COVID. Yeah. Airlease ordered or finalized an order for another 32 737 MAX. No customers announced on this particular order yet, but they've got plenty of customers lined up for for these aircraft. And so they're adding more to their stable. I think they now have 130 total on back order. Yeah. Things, uh, they're 737 MAX backlog to 130. That's uh, nice. So, so plenty of Plenty of, of leasing going on out there. Yeah, and if, uh, if you need a few maxes, feel free to reach out to AOC. <laughs> I'm sure the airlines listening to this podcast are going, oh, good. Oh, good good to know. They yeah. were available. Okay. So let's close out the show with a few more interesting. I don't even know if this is interesting or bizarre or, or what to describe this as. On April 1st, which is generally known to be April Fool's Day. Though I did learn that some cultures, countries celebrate April Fool's Day, or not April Fool's, but Fool's Day on December 28th, which just seems like a whole lot of work because you've just done Christmas and then you're fully – I mean, that seems like Maybe a Maybe just split the difference and don't celebrate it at all. There you go. However, in Thailand, 
One Airline's April Fool's tweet has now resulted in a complaint to the police, a investigation, an investigation into said tweet, uh, an apology by the airline, and a unclear what has happened to the airline employees. One can only assume that they are not in their boss's good graces. Yes. In this particular country, it is illegal to defame the monarchy and it is punishable by up to 15 years in prison, according to this Reuters article. Do we even want to go into to what the cause of this was or, or, or what the controversy is? Because it's just so stupid. We we can put a link in the in the show notes if you're interested in reading what the controversy was done. But you, you kind of have to have a lot of – not a lot, but enough backstory in the Thai king's Affairs of state, shall we say? Yes, it was the article. To understand, does a, yeah, the article does a good job of explaining why the joke could possibly be offensive to the monarchy. Um, sure, it, it is just um, a good case study and why just don't participate in April Fool's Day. Nothing good comes of it. I guess the older I get, the the less apt I am to to participate or. Or come up with an April Fool, and especially don't do it the day before to seem cool and edgy. Like you're you're doing it the day before, so it's not really an April Fool's joke. You're just super cool. No, stop it. <laughs> I forgot which airline did that, but there were a few that tweeted the day before April first, and it was uh, stupid. The one that I did enjoy, or th- that I least thought was amusing, was WestJet's. They put a seven eight seven in space, uh, WestJet X. I thought that you know, it, like. It's not one of those things where you have to work out, like, are they being serious? No. Um, and and, then and it was cute and the pretzels were floating and it was fine. That's nice. And then there was the, the JetBlue one saying that they were starting up uh, passenger service between JFK and LaGuardia. And uh, I mean, that does actually happen sometimes. It's not a, well, flight, they, it's not a flight you can yeah. book, but it does happen. And well, it, it, the funny thing is, is they said that and then they operated a repositioning flight from JFK to Newark the same day. Yeah, so those those things happen, and they don't look particularly good like, environmentally uh, wise. Um, I understand yeah, why I mean, they happen, yeah. but it, it's not not a good joke. Yeah. So in any case, but I would book that if it were a thing. I guess. I mean, just I mean, just to be able to fly between JFK and Newark would be considerably faster than any other option. Than trying to, yeah, that's that's fair. It's like that's five fun. trains. <laughs> oh, oh man, what what fun! So this next story is, I guess, the latest in what has become a long line of unfortunate incidents when it comes to the what will be the new pair of VC-25 aircraft for the, the US president. They are in – both 747-8s are in San Antonio undergoing basically gut rehabs to be turned in – you know, from standard passenger aircraft into these heavily modified presidential transport aircraft. And the Wall Street Journal reported on an incident that happened. Actually, I'm not sure if they say when the incident happened, but it, it happened um, earlier this year, is what they Yeah, yeah. So within the last couple months, where the aircraft was being put on jacks. And something happened. the The aircraft could have been damaged, so it didn't. It didn't get that far, but but the aircraft could have been damaged. Not a great thing. And then the aircraft also mentions some employees weren't credentialed properly, and then one failed a drug test. That's 
how do you have employees that are not properly credentialed working on what will become the new Air Force One? That's several layers of protocol broke down there, probably just beyond Boeing. But I'd love to see when all is said and done with these aircraft, if any money was actually saved in, in taking these two already produced passenger aircraft and turning them into Air Force One rather than just churning out a couple new purpose-built frames. Um, maybe we did save some money, but it sure seems like we're not going to. I I doubt that anybody I, will I don't know. Saved. But they're definitely not we'll delivering see. these things on time. I think initially it was supposed to be at the very, very tail end of Biden's term. That seemed exceedingly unlikely at this point. Yeah, I, I don't think that'll happen. Let us close the show by wishing United Airlines a happy 96th birthday. Hey, happy birthday, United. We don't have any cake for you, but Ian mentioned earlier that in four years, we better be seeing one very special livery. I certainly, certainly hope that they uh, they do a very, very special livery. Yes. I, I would very much like to see a retro jet United wide body aircraft. They have, they have several narrow body aircraft, but on a, like on a 7, 8, 10, that would be very nice to see. And thankfully, I United could not is, agree more. Yes. United is not an airline afraid to roll out a special liveried aircraft, unlike a, a certain competitor in Atlanta. I won't name names, but yeah, a special livery celebrating a 100th birthday coming up in a couple of years. That would be very nice. There's precedent among other airlines. KLM fact, had a whole think, bunch, right? I think, well, KLM painted uh, the 100, I think, on the entire fleet. But they also had the 787 with the, the special 100th anniversary livery. Qantas did the same thing. Avianca did the same thing. So there is precedence here that you know when you turn 100, you have to do a special livery. And I expect to. nothing less from United. And there are United folks I know listening to this podcast. So I'm not saying there's any pressure or anything like that. But you have four years. Four years. Get it right. <laughs> so happy birthday, United. And you don't look a day over 95. Mm-hmm. Yep. This has been episode 158 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.